Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Hello, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, April 8th. Frank here, joined once again by Adam, Scott, and Chris. Scott, today is the first time we're starting the show without a new rumor on when baseball is starting, and it feels kind of weird. The first time. Has there been a new rumor every day? This Can't week. This, day. this week. Oh, yeah. this week. Yeah, that's probably true. It's probably true. Everybody's still stewing over the old rumor. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We shall see. Completely random, guys, but I just saw on Twitter that uh, Parasite, the movie that basically won all of the Oscars, is now streaming on Hulu. So if you want a trippy movie to watch, there you go, Chris incredible movie i love that movie stop adam with his horrible horrible opinions about everything adam i I didn't say it was bad just incredible and the no good horrible opinion having (laughs) didn't like it i thought it was an absolutely incredible movie i really really enjoyed it um yeah and i uh i expect i will enjoy it on a second watch as well yeah, that I don't see. I feel like once you've seen it, you don't need to see it again, which is probably a, one of the true measures of a, the greatness of a movie. But it is amazing how much movies have changed, where a movie like Parasite is now considered great. It's just the budgets are so much smaller, and people, well, I guess they like different things, but that's just not my idea of a great movie. It was fine. It was fine. Like, like I said, a- Uncut Gems much better. It's been a long time since I've seen a best picture winner which is kind of to your point adam um you know i don't have as much time to watch movies as i used to i used to prioritize watching the best picture winner once it won best picture but i'm trying to think of what the last one i've actually seen was did you see moonlight i'm I'm sure it had to have been since whiplash whiplash is the one that's coming to mind whiplash is a fantastic movie but i'm not sure what i've seen since then whiplash is a very good movie but another example of how movies have changed the best movie that i have seen in the last like five years, that feels like a '90s, early 2000s movie. Before we got like so indie, basically, was uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. That was the best movie I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, Parasite was a surprise because it's sort of a, it's sort of a thriller slash horror movie. Those don't typically win. I think the difference is we're just widening our scope for what a great movie can be. Uh, it's not like it doesn't all just have to be like great men on horses. You know, there, there's like a wider range of what movies can be. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, looking at the, I think so was so it was Birdman. (laughs) Birdman was the last one I've seen before Parasite. Actually, that's a little embarrassing. Uh, yeah. yeah, I go back further. Twelve years a slave. Oh no, I saw Spotlight. You never saw Spotlight. I never Spotlight, saw Spotlight. was very good. Apparently, Whiplash didn't win Best Picture. Yeah, I didn't no. think it won Best Picture, but it was really good. Spotlight was great. Sorry. Admittedly, I've not watched a lot of the movies that are Oscar nominated or award winning. So I thought that Adam and I were going to fall into the same category here. But Adam, you clearly have seen way more of these movies than I have. I have actually watched Parasite because I felt like. All right, like everyone's hyping this up and it's winning everything, so I had to watch it. I really did enjoy it. Um, Adam, is it a Christmas movie? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I but it's uh, it's does, more, was there a Christmas? Is there in Christmas it? in that movie? Uh, then if there was, then sure, I guess it would. Be, I don't think be, so. Yeah, it's ridiculous. There are strong themes of family, Adam. More so than Die Hard. I agree. <laughs> Today in the show, we're going to deep dive Kyle Schwarber. We're also going to rank closers by job security, something that I know Adam likes to do when it comes to relievers. And it makes sense, specifically in Roto Leagues, I think, more than anything, where we are trying to find closers who can specifically help us out with saves. Obviously, more job security will help us uh, attain those saves. And then later on in the show, your listener questions. I promise that I will try my best to get to those. Kyle Schwarber, last season, and this came from one of our Apple podcast reviews, continue to leave us some of your uh, players that you want us to deep dive, and we'll 
we'll jump into those players here on the show. And someone asked about Kyle Schwarber. Last season, averaged 2.9 fantasy points per game. That was tied with Eloy Jimenez. Finally broke out, hit 250, 38 home runs, 92 RBI, and 871 OPS. Still struggles against lefties quite a bit. A 756 OPS versus lefties versus a 900 OPS against right-handed pitching. But that number against lefties actually was better last year than it has been in years past for Kyle Schwarber. I think the biggest takeaway for me when it comes to him, what he did last year, was in the second half, he lowered his strikeout rate by about 7%, wound up hitting 280 with a 997 OPS in the second half alone. Uh, Kind of changed up where he started hitting the ball, spraying the ball more to opposite field uh, and hitting the ball up the middle as well. So, Scott, I mean, how much do you believe in the adjustments that Kyle Schwarber made last year? Because it seems like we were always kind of waiting for him to have this breakout season. And honestly, it did come to fruition last year in 2019. Yeah, I think it it was clearly his best season. And if the full season line repeats he's going to be worth his his adp uh, the sort of what changed from first half to second half it's it's basically the same argument i've been making for jorge soler right he um he had a better better ball profile he struck out less he hit for a, a really good batting average not something we expect from kyle schwarber obviously you're talking about a difference in, in ceiling there, right? Like Jorge Soler doesn't necessarily have to continue those second half trends to be a good value still in drafts. Schwarber, uh, for him to be a, a good discounted player, would have to continue at least some some degree of what he did in the second half. Plus, Schwarber has a history of really struggling against left-handed pitchers. He's always a platoon risk because of that. It was better last year, but again, that's something he would have to sustain. My optimism for Schwarber is the highest it's been probably since he was first breaking into this league in, into the league as a tip top prospect, maybe since, you know, that year, the first week of the season, right? He collided with, uh, he had a collision in the outfield. I can't remember if it was another player or the outfield fence. Yeah, he tore his, his knee. And basically enthusiasm has been uh, tempered since then, but it's the highest it's been since then. I, I, I actually, have some shares in him this year and would like to see how those play out. Kyle Schwarber's ADP right now is 144. He is the 42nd outfielder off the board, according to Fantasy Pros. Chris, I know that you like Fran Reyes a lot. I love Fran Reyes this year, but should there be that big of a... It's not a huge difference. It's like a 15-pick difference right now, but I've seen it actually be further in actual drafts that I've done. Should there be that big of a difference between Kyle Schwarber and Fran Reyes? Because it seems like the best outcome for both of those guys is pretty similar. No? Yeah, I, I think what Schwarber and Reyes really highlight for me is I think there's just not very much need to reach for the no-speed, bad batting average power guys. You know, the... You know, like, I'm not saying Kyle Schwarber will be better than Matt Olson or as good as Matt Olson, but I don't know. If you run the season a thousand times, I bet 25% of the time Kyle Schwarber's as good as Matt Olson. It's not out of the realm of possibility. And so at some point, it's just that kind of player, you know, throw in Pete Alonso on the really high end, but also Matt Olson, Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, I'm sure there are other guys that I'm forgetting, Miguel Sano. Um, it's just it's a profile that is really easy to find in today's game. And so you're paying for certainty with some of those guys. But I don't know, it it just highlights how much I like to wait for that specific profile if I'm going to target it. You know, and Chris really- Davis going even later with a K. Yeah. And, that, and that's a really good point from a Roto perspective. I found myself yeah. consistently drafting. Guys like Fran Reyes, Kyle Schwarber, and Chris Davis targeting power in those middle to late rounds because in my drafts, in my roto drafts, I've been really targeting stolen bases, batting average early, and putting an emphasis on that. And if you want to keep pace in the power categories, an easy way to do that is to grab guys like Fran Reyes, Schwarber, and Chris Davis in those double-digit rounds. Uh, so that's something that I think is viable if you're looking for power in that area. Uh, but Adam, in a head-to-head points league, Rank these three outfielders, Kyle Schwarber, 
David Dahl and Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi, Dahl, Schwarber, or Dahl, Benintendi. That's really close. I'll, I'll go Dahl, Benintendi, Schwarber. And Schwarber is not even close. I have no interest in Kyle Schwarber. I am definitely the low guy on Kyle Schwarber. For him to go ahead of a guy like Kyle Tucker is a joke to me. And I don't really agree with Chris's assessment of saying, you know, Kyle Schwarber should be even mentioned in the same breath as Giancarlo Stanton or Matt Olson because he hit 250 last year, Kyle Schwarber, but his batting average in his last three seasons is 211, 238, and 250. So, look, maybe he continues to get better. He's cut his K rate two straight years. Um, there are encouraging signs with Schwarber, but what I would say is he's streaky as hell. He sometimes sits against lefties, not always, but enough. And and uh, he he's had good half seasons before. In this case, it was the last two months of the season when he had a 1043 OPS and he batted 304 with a 349 Babbitt. Uh, I'm not buying it with Kyle Schwarber. I don't really understand why he's a top 50 outfielder. 38 home runs is nice, but there were 58 players with 30 home runs last year. So if he just hits 30 home runs, that's just not good enough. Um, the the encouraging signs for Schwarber are, are this. He improved his doubles, which is important. He had 29 doubles. The previous two years combined, he had 30. So he basically doubled his doubles. Like I said, the K rates dropped. Like Frank said, the hitting profile looked a little bit better. Uh, the Cubs don't face a lot of lefties. The last two seasons, they've been they've had the second fewest at bats and the third fewest at bats against lefties. And if you go on roster resource and look at the rest of the division, there are only four projected starting pitchers that are left-handed right now. There's actually five, but one of them is replacing Miles Michaelis, so that doesn't actually count. So the Cubs probably will face a lot of righties. So that's good. But I just don't buy Schwarber. He's had good half seasons before, and he's just he's just not for me, especially since he won't play every day. Uh, the last thing I want to say, Frank, is your points per game stat. Just want to say, with a guy like Schwarber, he's actually better than his fantasy points per game because he pinch hit 14 times. So um, that lowers his points per game, but still, he's he's just not even worth having in that I, format. I'm curious one other how the... thing. Oh, go ahead, Chris. One other thing I do want to point out is. Uh, if he does sustain the gains against lefties last year, like if he can put up a 750 OPS against lefties, there's really no reason he shouldn't play every day. And at this point in Kyle Schwarber's career, I don't know if it's gotten enough attention, but there's really not any reason for him to come out of games late because he's actually developed into basically a neutral defender over the last couple of years. And so... But why would you have a neutral defender in there if you could bring in Albert Almora because or he's something a, like that? Because he's a, a great really, defender. really good hitter. Like, if he's not going to hit again, sure, take him out for Albert Almora. But if it's like the seventh inning, there's no reason... He's not going to lose plate appearances because of his defense, basically. Yeah, maybe not. I think I just don't... I don't see him playing every day against lefties. You know, like yeah, last so year, I was, was probably I was half and half the breakdown. Sitting. Over the course of the season and his his production, if he can continue what he did last year, that's from a left handed bat. You don't you don't expect much better than that. Obviously, there's some total freaks who hit lefties just as well as they hit righties. But uh, from the normal left handed hitter who has some struggles against lefties, Schwarber was was pretty much right on par with that last year. But it, they didn't really start playing him against lefties until September. And they, well, you know what? They only faced two left-handed starters in September. So that's... Yeah. Uh, no, Scott, when, when he... He was two for two in starting against <laughs> When he went on his tear in the last two months of the season, they faced, in 54 games, they faced 10 left-handed starters. So, you know, I just, you, I guess you just have to buy into the fact that the Cubs don't face a lot of lefties. If that happens again, he might have a good year. But if it does happen again, if he doesn't happen again, if they do face more lefties... Schwarber's going to probably just be useless, and you're going to drop him. That's that's my take. And it's worth mentioning that they have a new manager in David Ross, so we know that Joe Madden, for whatever reason, it seems like throughout the years he's kind of, you know, he's he's done a little bit more in terms of platooning, and you know, it took him a while to make Javier Baez an everyday player. So we had that always kind of in the back of our mind. So David Ross coming in there and being the manager. Uh, maybe that's something that can actually help the case of someone like Kyle Schwarber again. I mean, they've played together, so they have a relationship from when uh, David Ross was on the Cubs. So I think that's worth mentioning as well. I seem to be on the higher end. I'm, I'm probably closer to uh, where Scott lies on someone like Kyle Schwarber. In my rankings, which should be out soon, are uh, Kyle Schwarber is pretty close to Fran Reyes. So I love I love yeah. Fran Reyes, and I think Kyle Schwarber is not really dissimilar. I don't know if ADP wise. 
Like I might be lower compared to, I, I just know Adam mentioned Kyle Tucker's behind Schwarber and specifically, no, if we're talking about Tucker versus Schwarber, I would take Tucker. Mm-hmm. Seeing J.D. Davis is behind Schwarber. Um, you know, I like Davis. That's, that's a close one. I, I'll, have to, I'll have to consult my own rankings to <laughs> see if, so he's 42nd overall according to ADP. We don't need to slow down the show for this. I'm, I'm going to check, though, to see. <laughs> where I have Schwarber actually in my outfielders. Because it's one thing to talk about him in this nebulous sense. I mean, it's easy to make the case, ah, this, this guy's good, sure. But then when you get into that relative discussion, uh, sometimes maybe the opinion changes. I, I have Schwarber 36th, so apparently I'm high compared to consensus. However, among the players I have behind him are J.D. Davis, are Mark Canna, those are clearly higher priorities for me in drafts. I'm just, that's, that's a situation where I'm ranking partially because I know I'm going to have to pay more to get him. Every now and then, Frank, you can bully Scott into changing his rankings on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let him off. I'm not, I don't think he wants to do that. It so. is ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. That you have Kyle Schwarber ahead of J.D. Davis and Mark Hanna. It makes not, me not trust anything you say. Ever. It's not keeping me from getting J.D. Davis and Mark Hanna, clearly. If it was, I'd probably change it up. It's keeping our listeners from getting J.D. Davis and Mark Hanna. I mean, this gets into a discussion of what people use <laughs> rankings for. Because there are all these ranking contests out there, and Frank has placed very high in them before in the past, I think. Right, Frank? Where they're like, judge the your rankings at the, in the preseason based on how the players actually finish in the off season. Um, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's just not how I, I do my rankings. I don't do them. This is my projected order of finish for these players. I think of them as in, as like a draft guide. Cause that's how I think most people use them. I want to target these players in this order. So ADP is, is baked into an extent. Obviously there are times when I'm going to go against ADP because I'm particularly high on a player and want to make sure I don't miss out on him. But for the most part, I don't want to, I don't want to go the other way and my rankings cause somebody to reach for a player that they could have had four rounds later, you know? Well, thank you, Scott. And I have ranked top 10, according to the fantasy pros accuracy the past two years. And that's based on (laughs) photo rankings. Uh Oh, what'd I do? <laughs> Chris, I was, what, making, I was just making fun of you for bragging about yourself. Oh no, I was. Just, a, it's a great accomplishment. I was it just is. confirming what Scott brought up, so I didn't want to leave the listeners into in the dark. Like, what the heck is Scott talking about? Uh, but he's right, and uh, I, typically I rank my players based on how I would draft them, just in a vacuum. So, uh, like, if if I'm on the board and I would rather have Fran Reyes than Schwarber, then I'm going to rank him ahead. And I think, look, everyone's different. Uh, but if you wanted to take that approach, Scott, that's completely up to you. But I think. How I would do it is if you like J.D. Davis and Mark Hanna more than Kyle Schwarber, then I would probably rank them ahead. But that's just me. I'll just I'll throw that out there. But we got to move on to uh, ranking bullpens and relievers based on job security. And this was actually an email that we got a couple of weeks ago, Adam, and you sent this one over to me and you liked it as a show idea because you said this is how you like to draft relievers is based on job security. And I think it's a really good point that at times we don't necessarily do that because if you look at Scott's rankings, you look at my rankings, uh, Nick Anderson, we have ranked very high, but what is Nick Anderson's job security right now? So that's something that we can talk about here, Adam, but if you want to kind of just expand a little bit more on why you like kind of drafting relievers based off of job security, you can do so now. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's uh, the only thing I look at, but for example, I think Ken Giles has more job security than, let's say, uh, Lee, uh, not Liam Hendricks, but let's say Edwin, Edwin he probably does have more job security than Liam Hendricks. He he has more he has more than Edwin Diaz. I'll say that, but I wouldn't draft him ahead of Edwin Diaz because I think he's got a good chance to get traded. Otherwise, I might draft him ahead of Edwin Diaz. But look, you know, relievers are going to struggle, right? At some point in the season, they're going to have a little blip. Which of these relievers are going to have their their trust from their manager to be able to work through that? Or if they're going to be demoted, be demoted for like a week and then get the job back. Um, Which of these got like you had to separate them into categories and you might be surprised the way I categorize them because I don't think there are are that many relievers that have just absolute job security um, where it would take something 
catastrophic and unforeseen, basically, in their performance for them to lose it. But yeah, it's important to me um, because it's not that important to me in like a head-to-head points league where you're starting sparps, you only need two reliever spots, whatever. Shoot for the moon there. But in a roto league, I don't want to draft someone that's going to be a bust because I can't just go to the waiver wire and replace that person. So anyone I feel like has a you know a good chance to lose his job, I'm probably going to stay away from unless I can get a really good value. So job security, job security is uh, very important to me. I've created seven categories, and we can argue whether or not this is too many, but these are kind of you know categories of job security, and I've ranked them the strongest, very strong, but. He's the guy, but even more concerns. Closer, but don't feel good about it. Haven't been named closer, but we're hopeful. Committee slash position battle. And then seven is, I don't really care. And that was a writing category from Adam Azer. Uh, So let's start off with the strongest. And for me, and and feel free to add players to this if you want, but I had just two players in the strongest job security. Me too. And that was Yates and Roberto Osuna. A hundred percent. Those are the only two that I put in the strongest. Yep. Does anyone disagree? Does anyone feel that Kirby, um, Josh Hader should be in the strongest category? No, Josh Hader should not be. Um, I had immediately put Aroldis Chapman in there. I was just jotting down some names now. So, I, I mean, my initial reaction seeing this is, wow, that's a lot of tears for a, uh, for a role of 30. <laughs> You know, only 30 people have this role. Um, at most, we we don't even know who all the 30 are. Uh, so yeah, maybe I should be more stringent than that. But I guess I guess Chapman, you're just saying because there are a lot of closer capable relievers in that bullpen, is that why you're leaving him out? Yeah, and he gets hurt. You know, he's. I mean, uh, he's pretty close to to the strongest. I mean, he goes into the season as the guy without question. But I don't think they'd have a problem with giving it to Britain if Chapman struggled. And, you know, he's getting older. So, honestly, he could have been the third one in that group for sure. But he's the first one I have in the second tier. Why isn't Brad Hand in that group? The Indians have not been a team that has changed their closer very much, really, over the last the time that Terry Francona has been there. I I can't really remember. He really struggled. He was a mess in the second half. A lot of it seemed health related. And there was. Some buzz when they first acquired Emmanuel Classe that he was the guy who was going to bump Hand from the role. There's also been a lot of talk that Hand gets traded midseason, maybe out of the closer role. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think Hand deserves to be in the top tier. I, you know, I don't get why everyone's so excited about Emmanuel Classe. I think Emmanuel Triple A is way better. <laughs> Wait, can we? <laughs> also, James Karinczak. Um, can we just? You're doing these tiers, Scott. This is based on job security, right? Not based on how good you think they are. Right, right. Otherwise, Hater would be in the right. strongest. Right, right. No, yeah. I agree. I agree. Hater should not be in the strongest. Yeah, and and that's worth reiterating, Adam. That again, we're not ranking them based on just who we think is going to be the best for fantasy. It's ranking these relievers based on job security. And uh, the next category, the second tier, you could call it, is the very strong. But there, whether there's a history of injuries or a history of blown saves, or you know, there's really good options on the team behind them. Uh, I had Josh Hader as the next one up, and then Aroldis Chapman, followed by Brad Hand. And for the reasons that Scott mentioned uh, with Brad Hand, just second-half struggles, 5.4 ERA in the second half, four blown saves. The velocity was down. Could be due to uh, injuries, but uh, Karinczak is someone that I'm very high on as well. In the minors, he had 22 saves. He had 186 strikeouts in 102 and a third innings pitched. That is somebody who can take over the closer's role if Brad Hand were to struggle. Yep. Why did we not go wonder, with Hader, by the way? Let's establish that. Were those that. the same for you, Adam? What are, what are your... Oh, I have 16 closers in this tier. 16? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, have, I have the Yankees, Brewers, Twins, A's, Dodgers, Mets, Cubs, Indians, uh, Phillies, Nationals, Diamondbacks, Blue Jays, oh, Pirates, oh. Royals, White Sox uh, no, and the no. Rangers. Oh, Adam. So, no, 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 no. Can I, can well, I no, but this is my question? yeah, yeah. But I want I'll, I'll I'll tell you my approach, and then you can ask. Like I just feel like these guys, we we're pretty much gonna know who the person's going to be. And I like a lot of these pitchers, but some of them could get traded. Some of them are like Cody Allen. Um, some of them are like Sean Doolittle and have some really good competition now with Will Harris coming in. 
yeah, so or, or the guy Doolittle was splitting saves with down yeah, the stretch but he's, just last year, but Daniel he's not, Hudson. I don't really buy like Hudson's hasn't been that good. <laughs> Will Harris is better I, than Hudson. I mean that's fine, but you're going out on kind of okay. A so limb but there. but here's the problem. Like not to not to be too critical of of Frank. I I didn't know what other cat <laughs> what other like where would you put where would you put Sean Doolittle and the named closer oh. but don't feel good about it. He would be near the bottom of the tiers for me, and and it's reflected in his ADP. Nobody wants Sean. He's Doolittle. underrated. I want a lot of Sean. Doolittle. He's underrated. Yeah, but do you want Doolittle just because of his price, Chris? Like, like it it doesn't well, seem like a lot of people have a lot of faith in Doolittle keeping that role. Yeah, at I, least at least solely. I only want closers because of their price, and I only don't want closers because of their price. I'm not sure. I don't care that much about how good a closer appears to be. Like, I, I think, like, Liam Hendricks is being viewed as an elite closer because he had one good season where he threw 80 innings. Like, that, that I'm just not going to pay for that. I'll pay for the guys who are cheaper. Um, but the, the, the one question I do have, why isn't Taylor Rogers in the top tier? Uh, he has like, no job secure. Well, that's why strong. not? I love Who's Taylor Rogers. He had I don't a, think he's going to be a full-time closer. Who's going to take the job from him? They have a lot of closer-capable relievers in the bullpen. That's a very strong bullpen. Sergio Romo, before he got hurt, was was taking some saves from uh, from uh, Rogers immediately after he was acquired. And like Romo is probably the sixth best reliever in that bullpen. There's they do have there, yeah. There's yeah, Tyler Clipper, Tyler Duffy. Uh, Trevor uh, May, Taylor, Trevor May. I mean, Sergio like, Romo had three saves and twenty-seven appearances. Right, but that's that's. I, I'm not exactly sure how that was distributed pre-injury and post-injury, and over the short time he was with them, two months, the backup closer getting three saves is a lot. Um, I he had a 4.44 ERA in his last 24 appearances, Taylor Rogers, but I've more or less decided that he's awesome because he's done it two years in a row. I mean, awesome. Oh, he's good. And he's good. Yeah. I like him. So he's the only left-hander in that bullpen. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a good point. Trevor May, Tyler Duffy, Tyler Clippard, Zach Littell. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but he showed a he had a great second half. Uh, I, I I happen to know how strong the Twins bullpen is because in my sim leagues where middle relievers, you know, you have to build a full bullpen. Basically, <laughs> I've been targeting a lot of these guys, uh, but I I would put Taylor Rogers below even this tier. Definitely not in the strongest, not even in this very strong butt tier. I would probably put him in the next tier. He's the guy, but even more concerns. Some I would consider for this tier that that Frank doesn't have. I assume Adam has them all because he has oh, half yeah. the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, would be, uh, you know, if we're just talking job security, Ken Giles, mm-hmm. Hector Neris. Oh, yeah. Got uh, him. Giles that, has great job security, might, but he's going to get traded. That might be it. That might be the only two I add on top of who Frank has. Maybe, maybe Liam Hendricks. But just for the reasons Chris brought up earlier, that the Athletics are constantly changing out closers, so kind of a team history argument against him. Yeah, they've had a different saves leader in six straight seasons. Uh, I believe technically it was five different pitchers over three six straight seasons. Sean Doolittle was their saves leader twice. But yeah, this is not a team that historically goes out of a season with the same guy they went into the season as the closer. Yeah, by the way, Sean Doolittle... First 49 appearances, 281 ERA. Next five appearances, 2250 ERA, five home runs allowed. In five appearances, last nine appearances of the season, 225 ERA. Postseason, one walk, eight strikeouts in 10 and a third, a 174 ERA. The guy had five bad appearances all year. I'm not saying he's bad. He's just not durable. And if you've already opened the door to playing matchups in the ninth inning, it's it's easy to fall back into that. (laughs) Yeah, I just think he lost his job at the ba- at the wrong time. He struggled at the wrong time of the year, and they couldn't trust him, I guess. But that's why I yeah. like him at a discount. Daniel Hudson is someone who they relied on in the postseason. I believe he had four saves to just two for Doolittle in the postseason. He closed out the final game of the World Series in the 6-2 to win there, and he had some saves 
down the stretch while uh, Sean Doolittle was hurt. So uh, in that very strong butt tier, I, I mentioned my top three. I did have some other names in there. Ken Giles to me is someone who uh, I'm very excited about this year. I mean, there's injury concerns. You worry about, I guess, mental toughness, but just from pure stuff, I mean, ERA, whip, strikeouts last year, Ken Giles was among the best, and I don't really see much competition there uh, in Toronto. Uh, and then I also had Liam Hendricks, Kenley Jansen, and Craig Kimbrell in the second category in very strong butt. Where, oh. do, you, where do you guys have I, Alex Colomay? He just seems to get the job done. Yeah, he's he's a tweener for me, the second and third tier, because uh, I know Aaron Bummer, his name has been brought up a lot as somebody who could replace him if he's traded. I it He doesn't miss bats at near the level a closer does, near the right. level even really a good reliever does. And so that's always concerning, but he does have a track record of succeeding in spite of that. Colome does. So And Steve Ciszek is there too and he's he's had a very good career. Yeah. Uh he would probably be third tier for me. I'm not sure if people are keeping up with these names of the tiers at home. So I'm just going to say third tier for Colome and um but I would probably drop like Kenley Jansen into that tier too considering it seemed like Dave Roberts had a lot of lost a lot of lot of faith in him in the postseason. And I know he worked out with driveline baseball this offseason was looking better in the preseason. Maybe maybe he takes off again. I don't know. But just the way he's been trending, Kenley Jansen, I think is is kind of walking a tightrope right now in terms of being the guy for the Dodgers. And I don't know that there would be a singular guy to replace him if you were to lose that job. It might be a committee situation. But I, I don't see Kenley Jansen as somebody who has a great deal of job security right now. Okay, so so, so I'm sorry. I I probably could pro- take like five or six of these players and put them t- <laughs> and put them in the named closer but don't feel good about it category. But it just yeah, I guess. I guess. I feel like that tier, named closer but don't feel good about it should be ahead of no official confirmation but he's the guy. <laughs> I'll stop confusing everybody. Go ahead, Frank. Uh, What I wanted to do was actually come to like a consensus and we all kind of figure it out together, but I don't know if that's going to happen based on. We can. We can. Adam having, you know, 15 people in the second tier. So uh, it's it's helpful to talk through it, even if we don't. Even if there's not total clarity on where these guys landed within these tiers, I think. It it sounds like we've all kind of agreed that, outside of Adam, that. Liam Hendricks, Kenley Jansen, and Craig Kimbrell should probably be in at least the third tier. He's the guy, but more concerns. Is that fair to say? It seems like the locks for the second tier, you're very strong job security, but they might have a concern. Josh Hader, Chapman, Brad Hand, and Ken Giles were all in that tier for sure. But it sounds like at least one of us have have some kind of concerns over Hendricks, Jansen, and Kimbrell. Yes. Yeah. And Diaz, right? Oh, yeah, Diaz, I, I would put even lower. Where do you Easily. have Diaz, Frank? I have him in the third category, but look, if you wanted to make the argument for him in the fourth, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I, I, I like it. Obviously, so I'm trying to remove where I actually have them ranked among relief pitchers because that's taking into account upside and and all of that. And like Diaz, he could lose his job within the first week. I feel like if if he gives up a couple of home runs that loses the Mets games, he's probably out of there unless they're just so convinced that a slider is is back that they're um, that they're going to stick it out a little longer. But um, Seth Lugo seems like a perfectly competent closer. I think he's and too, I think he's too valuable. He has lost his job down the stretch last year. So, well, I think he's too valuable though Lugo as a multiple inning guy. So I don't know. Did we ever answer this question, by the way, of why we don't have Josh Hader in the first category? It's because it doesn't seem like the Brewers really want him closing. They were kind of backed into a corner last year because everybody else got hurt. Right. Corey Knebel's probably going to be back for the start of the season now, whenever that is, and was a dominant closer back when he was healthy. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think Hater's role is totally secure. Okay, okay, I'm on the same page. I just wanted to throw that out there because people might be like, "What are you, what are you talking about, bro?" That's what yeah. I'd say. Corey Nibble was the main reason for me as well. I mean, last time we saw him, he led the team with saves with 16 back in 2018 and generates a ton of strikeouts. So that's why uh, just the concern of him returning and 
Uh, Scott's right. Look, the Brewers like to use Josh Hader in that role where, you know, he can come in in the biggest moment, seventh inning, eighth inning. They want to use him for multiple innings. They can do that. Uh, but in the third tier, uh, he's the guy, but more concerns. We, we've had, I'll put Hendricks in that list, Kenley Jansen. Uh, Kenley Jansen led the National League in blown saves last year with eight. Edwin Diaz had seven of those. Um, I have him in this category. Taylor Rogers, uh, and then also Brandon Workman, Rice Iglesias, Hector Neris, Hansel Robles, and Archie Bradley. Is that too many names for the, he's the guy, but there are even more concerns in this team. Let's, no, let's hear the, him again. The distribution should probably look like a bell curve in this uh in this exercise, like you should expect fewer guys at the top, more guys in the middle, and then fewer guys at the bottom. Yeah. Well, wait, let's hear those names again. I didn't catch all of them. So Liam Hendricks, Kenley Jansen, Craig Kimbrell, Taylor Rogers, Edwin Diaz, Brandon Workman, Rysel Iglesias, Hector Neris, Hansel Robles, and Archie Bradley. Those were my, he's the guy, but we have even more concerns than the tier two guys. I I will say that I think Archie Bradley is the one player I'm going to really fight for to be in the second tier. He's been arguably arguably my favorite reliever to draft. I think he is by far the best reliever in that bullpen. He's been streaky in his career. He's had if you you know he's played like three seasons basically Bradley, and if you separate them into half seasons, he's had four good half seasons and two really bad half seasons. So I'm hopeful that he'll just figure it out and be awesome. But I think he'll be able to hold off his competition. I think the Diamondbacks are going to be good. So Bradley is my favorite, and I think he's got some job security, and that's why I've been targeting him. If we're just yeah. if we're just <laughs> if we're just looking at full season statistics though, I Archie mean, Bradley does not look like a closer caliber reliever. No, a one four three eight a one four three seven whip from a closer that is like you're not our closer okay but <laughs> look at his career i mean the, he his walk rate went way up last year but before that it was weird i mean 2.6 2.5 walks per nine that's great for a reliever and then it was 4.5 last year so i would imagine it comes back down his strikeout yeah, but even, rate even looking at 2018 he had a 364 era with a 370 fifth I understand. 2017, he was one of the best relievers in, in baseball. 2018, yeah, that before, is the outlier. before the All-Star break, he had a 197 ERA. 2000, it's 2018 after the All-Star break and 2019 before the All-Star break. Basically, one horrible year of Archie Bradley. But after the All-Star <laughs> break in 2019, it's 171. He finished with a 171 ERA, 18 saves in his last 19 chances, 107 whip. Opponents hit 191. I remember reading an article about what changed for him, and I don't remember what it was, but I will try to find it. <laughs> but I, it's just there's nobody there. Who's going to take his yeah. job? That's that's the well, thing the, with the Bradley. The thing is, there was nobody there before, and they kept finding excuses not to use R.G. Bradley. They, never, they like, didn't have like, any closers. He's the best one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, man. I, I Kevin Ginkle. This is I a don't, job Ginkle's security I don't question. think we can put a guy who has saved – three and 18 games in the last two seasons with a mid threes ERA in the second highest tier of job security. No. Like no. you have to be you're like, yes, you don't want competition, but you also have to be established he's as good. someone that your team trusts as a closer. And you have to be good. And I'm I think just he's not good. convinced Archie Bradley's that good. I, I think he's better than his numbers. I think like just horrible for that 2018 post all-star break to 2019 pre all-star break year. Just awful. Other than that, he's been really good. So I'm I'm hopeful for him. But fine, I'll be yeah. on, on Archie Bradley Island. His swinging strike rate leaves a lot to be desired. Last year, 9.6%. The year before for Archie Bradley, 9%. To put that in perspective, uh, Ken Giles was around 18% swinging strike rate. So nearly double the swings and misses. So Archie Bradley doesn't really profile in terms of uh, the swings and misses to be an elite closer either. So I had him towards the bottom of this third tier. And I honestly thought about putting him in the fourth tier. Yeah. I, I'd probably split who you have in the third. I'd probably put like half of them in the fourth. I don't know if it's worth getting into who exactly. I don't even remember your well, whole it is. list. Uh, who are the ones that you have the most concerns about? Adam, stop trying to make Arch happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, cer certainly Archie Bradley. Uh, what? I'd, I'd have to hear all the names again. If we're, uh, I'll just work backwards. What about Hansel Robles? 
I feel like his job security is pretty pretty good. I just don't think he's that good is my issue with him. That's the thing. And a new manager's coming in who kind of Joe Madden stands. I'm I'm certainly paraphrasing here, but like he sees no reason to make a change there. I, I could certainly see Run don't giving him a reason to. And you know who's waiting in the wings? Our boy Buttry. Uh so yeah, that's <laughs> and that's not the only alternative in the Angels bullpen. I, I I would put him I mean we got seven tiers to to work with here. I think I think I would be a little more uh, discerning and probably put Robles lower, yeah. Okay. I, I, although I think Robles deserves to be higher than Bradley, so it's, <laughs> why is it a lower ERA last year? It's worth remembering yeah. throughout this entire exercise that half at least of opening day closers are going to lose their jobs, so we should probably be less confident in the guys who have the jobs now than I think we often are. I don't think we're that confident at all. I mean, we had two guys in the top tier, maybe three. We had maybe like four that we agreed on in the second tier. So I think, I don't know who you're talking to, guy, because I don't think we're very confident at all. I mean, these are top 15 closers we're talking about in Scott's rankings, and nobody has any faith in, in Craig Kimbrell or like Edwin Diaz. We we know what the upside is, but my gosh, we're afraid to draft him. I, I think it's totally reflected in the way we're having this conversation. So we're debating between tier three and tier four right now, and I'm look, looking at the names of the tiers again. So tier five, immediately after this, is haven't been named closer, but we're hopeful. So that's very specific. Six is committee plus or position battle. Seven is I don't really care. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if those deserve to be three separate tiers, and maybe that's why I'm struggling to get on the same page as you. But it sounds like tier four is the end of the declared closers. So. Yeah. So in that case, maybe Robles does deserve to be in tier three. Yeah, maybe just working backwards quickly, because it seems like these are a little bit obvious. Uh, tier five haven't been named closer, but we're hopeful, though. For me, it's Nick Anderson and, and Giovanni Gallegos. Like those are players that we would love for them to be the closer, but yeah. we don't have any confirmation. We're just kind of hoping that skills went out. So in terms of job security, there's none. I mean, they're just we don't know if they're the closer. So, right. yeah, I, I mean, I, I would throw in Tony Watson for the Giants uh, I put in that beats here. I put him in the six because I, I just think with, um, he's not nearly on the skill level of those two. Yeah. From, put him in but what from tier? what I've, I put him in the, I don't really care tier. Yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, if he's healthy, he's the closed. And I don't really care. Well, that's, <laughs> we're, I'm, yeah, we're I'd talking be curious you, where you I, found that because 16, I, I, so. I feel like Ka- Gabe Cap. What I've seen from Gabe Kapler is basically what he's always said. Just we'll we'll, we'll figure Watson's, it out. <laughs> Tony Watson's a lot better than you guys are giving him credit for. I like Adam, Adam, you're singing the praises of Archie freaking Brad. You're you're singing the praises of Archie freaking Bradley, and you're you're crapping on Tony Watson. If Archie Bradley and Tony Watson are both their the closers for their respective teams, I would think. Bradley gets at least 10 more saves than Watson. Provided he keeps the job all year. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But like I, if, I mean, if what it keep... ultimately comes down to for Watson, for me, is I, I don't, I'm not confident anybody in San Francisco is going to get more than like 10 saves this year just because that's of why Gabe Kapler. Right. That's why I don't really care. That's yeah. why I put him in that tier. And, and, and like you look at the way things broke down for like the Orioles last year. Not that I expect the Giants to be quite that bad, but I expect them to be bad. Yeah, plus Watson's kind of old, isn't he? He's kind of he's yeah. up there. He's thirty-four. He's gonna be thirty-five yeah. by the time the season starts. We also haven't mentioned the Braves ca- closers, right? No, we have not. No, the, the Braves are the Braves and the Rockies are in their name closer, but don't feel good about it, right? Yes, that's that's where I have both of those guys. Uh, let's just kind of wrap up where Taylor Rogers, third tier. Is that okay? Yeah. He's the guy, but more concerns. Yes. Edwin Diaz, third or fourth tier in terms of job security? Fourth tier closer, but don't feel good about it, I would say. Okay. So I'll lower him. Uh, Brandon Workman. He's the guy, but even more concerns. Okay, so that's tier third three. tier. Bryce yeah. uh, Iglesias. He's the guy but even more i i don't feel great about rice Iglesias, but i think i'm alone in this 
Why is that? Why why do you worry about Rysel Iglesias so much? He's just so home run prone, and the Reds have the Reds' backup closer has been, I think, the last two years, um, gotten a surprisingly high save total for a bad closer. I mean, for a backup closer, they don't use Iglesias. Eleven eleven appearances of of more than one inning last year, which is unusual for a closer. Um, and he was really bad in non-save situations, and that was 24 and a third innings of non-save situations for Iglesias, which, again, is pretty high. So that's why I couldn't really give him that job security uh, boost because he he struggled last year, and they didn't really use him as a conventional closer. Yeah, I like Rysel Iglesias quite a bit. Three straight seasons of 28 or more saves. Uh, Last year seems like the outlier with a 4-1-6 ERA. The three seasons before that, he was a 2-5-3 ERA or better, and yes. his underlying numbers last year actually say that he was a little bit unlucky with the home runs. So I think that I actually trust Rysel Iglesias quite a bit this year, and he's he's been a target of mine because it seems it's, like people have concerns. It's really a two-year trend with the home run spiking for Iglesias. Maybe he did have bad luck, but it, it's two years where it's been a one-and-a-half per nine, basically, and you look at the FIP those two years, 416 ERA versus a 392 FIP this past year, okay, in 2018, it was a 230 ADRA. Oh, look, he's great. But with a 423 FIP, even a worse FIP than this past year when he wasn't so great. So I I don't like the way he's trending there, specifically with the long ball. And he's not a great control pitcher either. Okay. So it seems like our third tier is wrapped up with Hendricks, Kenley Jansen, Craig Kimbrell, Taylor Rogers, Brandon Workman, Rysel Iglesias, Hector Neris. What is the sense? name of this tier? He's the guy, but we have even more concerns than Tier 2. Okay. Tier 4 is, this. these are the closers for their respective teams, but we don't feel good about it. And as of now, based on uh, the players we don't have in Tier 5 and don't have in Tier 6, that would leave Edwin Diaz, Hansel Robles, Archie Bradley, Alex Colome, Jose Leclerc, Sean Doolittle, Keone Kella, Mark Balanson, Joe Jimenez, Wade Davis, Brandon Kinsler, Ian Kennedy. I want to move some of those guys up. Yep. I mean, I feel great about Keone Kella's job security. I just me too. I just think it's pretty clear he's going to get traded. That's why I had him in the second tier. What's that? So I'll move Keone Kella up to three, or you want to move on to two? In in terms of just job security, I don't. Keone Kella is a pretty good pitcher. Like he's on the Pirates. He's going to be their closer. I, I. you know, it would surprise me if he lost that job. So that's why I had him in tier two. It's just I think he's going to get traded. So I, I don't know three. I don't know what to do about that situation. I, I would put him in three because he does have health concerns, and, and there's a trade concern. Yeah, yeah. so those, those both factor in. Okay. I, so I think that I think we're all kind of falling in place here. Of the tier four names. Robles and Colome, I think I would move up. Based Robles on. And Colome, you would move them up to, back up to tier three. Now having a better understand of how these tiers are named. I worry a little bit more about Colome just because I think with C-Check there, he does have some closing experience. Um, The reasons you mentioned, Scott, that Colome struggles with walks. He doesn't get as many strikeouts. Aaron Bummer was really good at neutralizing both lefties and righties last year. He did a good enough job to earn a contract extension throughout spring training. So me personally, I worry about Colome a little bit more. I would... I think that, you know, I worry about just the players that are around him and him potentially being ineffective. We've seen that happen before when he was with Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think Ciszek is a really good addition to that bullpen and could certainly fill that role, if not Aaron Bummer. Yeah, I, I, it's just there's enough of a track record there. I mean, he, there was that one-year splint between Tampa Bay and Seattle where he functioned as more of a setup man. Um, but did so well. And so even counting that year, three of the past four years, Colomay's gotten 30 saves plus his highest ERA during that entire four year stretch is 324. So skills wise, if we're just assessing him on skills, I'd say, watch out for this guy, but he's, he's defied expectations for so long that I think he's pretty secure in the role. Is Chris I okay? think most people would want Edwin Diaz out of this group just in terms of his upside. So I'll exclude him 
Um, and we know Adam likes Archie Bradley, but between let's go Leclerc, Doolittle, Melanson, Joe Jimenez, Wade Davis, Kinsler, and Ian Kennedy. That group of studs. <laughs> so Chris, I, I, I think that Kennedy and Jimenez have the most job security. I don't Kennedy know. Kennedy actually is not security. Has been denied the closer. Like Mike Matheny said. Sp- specifically said he's not naming a closer. So Kennedy wow. technically hasn't been named the closer. I, I don't know who else it would be, but it's worth pointing out. Matheny has a history with Trevor Rosenthal, and Rosenthal was pitching well in the pre, in, in spring training. It's like the ghost of Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal. I never thought he would be fantasy relevant again, but it just <laughs> would not surprise me if he somehow snuck into the closer's role because he's like Mike Matheny's guy. Maybe I, Isn't I didn't Greg realize. Holland there too. Greg Holland as well. Yep, that's a guy. That's a ghost closer. Ghost. I didn't realize how good Kennedy really was because he just had such a high BABIP, but his ratios, walk to strikeout ratio, was terrific. Um, he yeah. had a good year. Just unfortunately, pitches for the Royals for who knows yeah. how long. <laughs> Not many wins expected there for the Kansas City Royals uh, this season. So the fourth tier is pretty much wrapped up. The fifth tier, two specific names: Nick Anderson, Giovanni Gallegos. Uh, and then the sixth tier, which is, you know, committee position battles. Uh, for me, I had, you know, Baltimore as Hunter Harvey and Michael Givens, Seattle, Matt McGill, Yoshi Hirano, and the Giants, Tony Watson, Trevor Gott, whoever you want to throw in that mix for the Giants. But uh, maybe those are in the, the I don't care category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is anyone interested in any of the committee relievers here that we have? Yeah, Hunter Harvey a little bit. I mean more for the strikeouts and hopefully really good ERA. But for Baltimore, Hunter Harvey, he only pitched six and a third, but he struck out 11. So, and and they, you know, they did say he has a chance to be the closer. So um, that's pretty much the only one. He's been a not good pitcher for, like he's dealt with a lot of injuries, which also is not an argument in his favor. Uh, He's been like, Deeply mediocre. I was as a starter, right? I mean, he had a 4.32 ERA in AAA and 12 appearances as a reliever last year. So, like, like he did a decent job with strikeouts and walks, but not incredibly good for someone uh, who's 24 years old and who we think can be a closer. I just like it's it's possible he could be good. I think it's pretty likely he has a four ERA. That might be enough. Part part of the reason I think things went never went like we thought they would with Baltimore last year, uh, where Michael Givens was couldn't get a hold on that role, and and really that was true from the start of the season, is because kind of like the the Brewers with Hader, they just really didn't want to confine Michael Givens to that role, and it became easier when he didn't end up having such a great year, but. I think Hunter Harvey presents the clearest alternative they've had so far over the past two years. So he makes me, he makes me pretty hopeful. I mean, I, I remember him. I remember loving him as a pitching prospect way back before the injuries started when he was a starting pitcher. That was his projected path. So that's, that's probably factoring in here as well. Yeah. We're, we're five years removed from him being ranked on any prospect list, but look between AAA and the majors, he had a, Really good strikeout rate. We're only really we are talking good. about someone with like our last pick that we are just right. That's hoping... what, but that's I'm saying I don't really care. Yeah, I don't. That's, I guess. that's one of the categories. Okay, that, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so who, he, he who would be the have? one guy between the Giants, Mariners, and Orioles bullpens who I do care about. That's I guess that's Chris what is I was saying, saying Tony Watson would be that guy for him. Yeah, I don't quite get why we'd be interested in Hunter Harvey and not Tony Watson, but I, I guess I'm alone on that. I like Tony Watson. I just don't like Gabe Kapler. I have a very frustrating relationship with Gabe Kapler as someone who has owned Hector Neris a ton over the past couple of seasons and just seeing the way he's been used and deployed. I remember it was like opening day two years ago where I thought Hector Neris was for sure the closer. It's like someone else completely different got the first save. I'm like, what are you doing, Gabe Kapler? You're ruining everything. You're ruining all of my Hector Neris shares. Welcome to Philadelphia. Yes, yeah, yeah, when he was with Philadelphia. Uh, But I made a promise that I would try my best, and, and I want to get to these emails. So I'm going to wrap up the conversation there. Uh, and 
Chris, if it's all right with you, I'll kind of put this all in an article together and you know make it easier for people to read uh, in terms of job security for relievers. So I'll make that's I'll make that's that perfectly all right with me. Okay, perfectly all right. <laughs> I am actually. I I'm going to announce this on the podcast. I'm taking off because I'm going to go on our good friend Jake Seely's podcast and talk about video games. So I have to leave early. I apologize. I thought we'd be done by now. Boo. No, it's all right, Chris. Enjoy. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. I love Say you all. Jake. Bye. Bye-bye, Chris. Bye. Uh, questions? Send them in. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. This one comes from Colin. Dear Walker, Jones, and Bird. Greg. 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 There you go. That's for you, Adam. I play in a 7 by 7 categories league, 12 teams with the two extra categories being K-to-walk percentage and losses for pitching. There are four pitcher spots and three relief pitcher spots. There has been talk about how the shortened season or lack thereof could boost starting pitchers with limited innings just a tad. In my four-keeper dynasty league, I drafted Clevenger, Gallen, Lazardo, Urias, Boyd, Heaney, Alex Wood, and Michael Kopech. I know I only have one, maybe two, with Gallon and Clevenger of Scott's top 37, now a top 35, uh, but with upside and versatility, I thought I could cover strikeouts with the extra starting pitchers, and I took good control guys as well to help with whip and walks. Would you approve of this strategy to stack up on offense while getting these guys? My worst projected offensive player is J.D. Davis. So there you go, Scott. He uses your rankings. Yeah, I would say that... It wouldn't, it wouldn't be what I'd want to do. So uh, approval, it's it's not what I would do. However, I think this is the best format to do it in, a head-to-head categories format. And I do think the the shortened season and kind of the the reduced concerns for pitchers like Luzardo and Arias, and those are the main two I'm looking at in terms of how it, it, it benefiting from maybe not having as hard of an innings cap now. Uh, I think you targeted precisely the right pitchers to make this work in precisely the right format is how I would put it. But it still would not be my preference. This next one's from Jake. Dear Michael, Sean, Chidi, and Jason. I don't know yeah. if I said the name right. Chidi? Chidi? Chidi is right. Yeah, that's the good These place. From, uh, the good place, which I have not watched. Is it good? No pun intended. It is good. It's very... There, there's really nothing else like it. Um, but I, I like all the Mike Schur comedies. And, um, you know, I, I, I wouldn't rank it at the top of that list, but it, it's it's interesting. It's a more serialized story. And it, especially the first two seasons, I think, are, uh, are well worth watching. What do you guys think about using net stolen bases as a category rather than just stolen bases? Love it. You- Love it. Tell us why, Adam. Uh, net stolen bases instead of stolen bases. We should be doing that. And in fact, in a head-to-head points league, why is a stolen base worth two points but caught stealing is only minus one? Uh, it makes a lot of sense. You're still going to have, still gonna have uh, base stealers be propped up, but they should be penalized for when they get caught stealing, man. And it would make it a little bit easier because the net difference between the, you know, the guys who steal 30 bases or so, it's not gonna, when, when you factor in their caught stealing, it's not going to be as big of a gap. So, you know, it's going to make it a little bit easier, I think, on draft day for steals. But it's just, it's just a concept that makes sense to me. Uh, we, should, we should penalize people for being caught stealing if we're going to reward them for being successful. Scott, are you in agreement with that on net stolen basis? I don't have a strong opinion on this one way or another. I, I do wonder how it would affect the distribution of who is... Because they're already there's an insane stolen base scarcity, right? That is causing players who we really shouldn't be putting that much faith into. We're we're having to invest in them like they're studs just because it's so hard to find base dealers. I'm not sure if this would alleviate that that or if this would make it worse. And if it would make it worse, I wouldn't want that. Because I already don't like the way stolen bases are valued in traditional five by five. Who do you think led the led baseball and caught stealing? Some, was it Ahmed Rosario? It was. He was tied with Whit Merrifield. And if you like, if you had factored in caught stealing, Whit Merrifield would have had a plus ten in steals. Ugh. So there's and, one guy down right Ahmed there. Ahmed Rosario would have been plus nine. Jonathan Villar though would have been plus thirty one. Malik Smith would have been plus fifty seven. 
Um, Ronald Acuna would have been plus 26, 28. Uh, this would it's be a fun category. I've actually played in a league like this. Uh, I don't remember. I thought it was the For the People League. I thought one of the leagues we did had a, had a net steals instead of just steals. Poor Whit Merrifield. This next one from Tony in Indy. Dear Dale, Jeff, Richard, and Kyle. Sound like famous race, like NASCAR yeah, drivers, right? Sound. That's that's that where my mind goes. Yeah. We seem to be down on Rugnet Odor. One of the arguments on the show was that he had a good July and September, but what did he do in the middle month of August? Well, in July he hit 264. In August he hit 144. In September he hit 261. Why are we feeling the exact same way about Miguel Sano? Last year he had a similar situation, uh, more specifically in batting average. In July, he hit 300. In August, he hit 218. In September, he hit 288. Both are 26 and have a similar career batting average, home runs, and RBIs, but Odor provides the steals. Plus, Odor is at a weaker position at second base. I Guys, mean, what I was trying to get into when I told you, Rugnet Odor <laughs> is undervalued. No, I, I don't see it because Sano has so much more upside. He's got 50 homer upside. And plus, like, look at Odor's August, 144 with three home runs. Sano's August was 218 with eight home runs. No, it yeah, wasn't good. It was so much there. better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand 218 batting average in a vacuum is not good, but for a guy who we're expecting a 230 to 240 batting average, from, of course he's going to have months like that. But to still have eight home runs and, and for it to be – a 200-ish batting average as opposed to 144. And plus, I feel like Rugnet Odor, his job, like, he's hanging by a thread as far as that job goes. Like, he very nearly lost it to Nick Solak last year and just has no benefit of the doubt anymore. Like, the expectation for him is a 200 batting average and maybe 30 home runs versus Sano, who it could be like 230 and 50 home runs. Even year, guys. Even year for Rugnet Odor's batting average. Just telling you. Look into it. I think that his upside is 240, 250 with 30 home runs, 10 stolen bases. I do love Miguel Sano also. So I'm not going to try and, you know, paint the picture for one, not paint the picture for the other. Because I think Sano can hit 250 with 45, 50 home runs. So I agree with, uh, I actually like both of these guys. Um, obviously, Odor going way later. So in terms of a value, would not take him in a points league. But uh, Roto, if you need a middle infielder, very late deeper leagues. I don't have a problem with Odor. This next one from James. Hey guys, I've been offered their Kluber and Michael Kopech for my Lucas Giolito. They also offered the same, but instead of Kopech, it is Joe Adele. Which one, if any, should I accept? 14 team Roto, the player I would be dropping is Miles Straw. Is this a dynasty league? Didn't say anything about keeper or dynasty, just said 14 team Roto. So Kluber and Michael Kopech or Joe Adele for his Lucas Giolito. I would probably keep Giolito if it's just me. Yeah. This doesn't sound like a deep enough league that Kopech and is is of like I'm counting on him being a difference maker. Like there's there's a good chance somebody's going to drop him, whether it's you or the guy you trade him to for the flavor of the week, you know, whenever the season starts. Um uh, when we're waiting for Kopech to come up. So, I mean, it's. I, I wonder what else is going on because Straw is so low end. I, I can't imagine. I played a couple 15 team Roto leagues. and Yeah, that's why I'm thinking there's got to be. Never a seen anybody draft Straw. Here. I would not. I would keep Giolito. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there. This final one comes from Ed Stevens in Jacksonville. Before the big question, wanted to mention how great it is to have Frank. Oh, why, thank you, Ed. Uh, because this allows Adam to display his true wit while sparring with Chris and Scott. No more politically correct hosts, so I guess, what does that say about me? <laughs> now he can <laughs> truly express his views and not keep peace. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Adam. It's good his to be question, here. <laughs> fearing the worst, I'm beginning to believe there will be no 2020 season. In that instance, who are the most likely players to call it quits? Just curious from a keeper league perspective. Would anybody actually retire because this season doesn't happen? I I can't imagine I, that happening. I, I've wondered that, too. And, and look, hopefully it doesn't come to pass. Hopefully we have some version of a 2020 season here. But, you know, you obviously have to consider the possibility we won't. 
Charlie Morton was somebody who was talking about retiring after this season, but it seemed like it was kind of up in the air. And I assume he wouldn't want what he thought was going to be his last season to just not even exist. I I assume it, it would make players who were thinking about retirement more likely to come back for one more year. But maybe not. Maybe it could be the opposite effect. Maybe they spend a lot more time with their family and realize, hey, this is pretty good. I don't miss baseball that much. And I'll go ahead and, and hang it up. I don't I don't know. It's it's not a question I feel like I can answer with a great amount of certainty. He wrote this email like last week before the reports came out of the possibly starting in May. But I told this story on the football podcast for for those of you listening at the hour and six minute mark or whatever. Yeah, I, I drove by a golf course the other day. Why was I out? I was just dropping something off in a mailbox. So I was social distancing, but we don't have to shame you. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. The golf course was looked like it was pretty crowded. Saw some people on the course, or saw some people in the parking lot. Parking lot was full of cars. I was pretty pissed off, and I called the golf course this morning to voice my complaint. And then the guy, first I said, "Hey, I'm just curious, like, uh, what you know, what you're doing, um, you know, in terms of like safety measures." He's like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "Well, you know, just with social distancing and whatever." He's like, "Well, we're sanitizing our golf carts. Only one rider per cart. You got You know, we're doing social distancing. Blah blah blah." blah. Like, I'm like, well, listen. I don't really think it's right that you guys are open right now. The rest of us are quarantining and trying to stay alive. And I think it's very selfish. And I told the guy that and he's like, yeah, you know what? It's not a conversation for me. You know, talk to the county executive. So I did call the county executive office, talk to not him, but someone who worked for him. And I voiced my complaint. And those selfish people are the reason why we might not have baseball this year, because it's very obvious that what we're doing is working. But I'm really pissed off that not everybody's buying in. This is not the time to be golfing. It really upset me, and I understand that you could go on a golf course and keep your distance and whatever, but, like, no. It, that you can't... That, that is not social distancing. It just isn't. It's not what you should be doing right now, you selfish jerks, especially in New York. So I am not hopeful that America is going to be able to keep this up because we have too many selfish people out there where freaking kids can't go to school and get their meals, but these people have to go work on their putts I, I'm so angry about this. So Hope you're not a golfer, Ed Stevens, because you may not like... You can be a golfer all you want. Just don't be a golfer right now. Like, Get off the course uh, yeah. and keep your ass home. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm very, very angry about it. Definitely a fair concern. No arguments there for Adam Azer, but we're going to wrap it up for today. For Adam, Scott, and Chris, I am Frank. Tomorrow on the show, we're going to run through some of Scott's favorite targets at each position in Dynasty Leagues and a little bit of let's be frank. What does that mean? Well, you'll have to find out tomorrow here on Fantasy Baseball Today.